As you prepare for retirement, you'll be faced with many important choices. We want you to make the right ones. Welcome to Financial Choices Matter with Charles Scott. Charles is an accredited investment fiduciary. He's well-equipped to help you make sound financial decisions. We want you to experience a meaningful retirement. On our podcast, we believe financial choices matter. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Financial Choices Matter. I'm Mark Haywood alongside Charles Scott. He is a fiduciary advisor at Peloton Capital Management, serving you in Scottsdale. You can find him online at pelotoncapital.com. That's pelotoncapital.com. Or you can reach out, give him a call, 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Charles, hello. Welcome into the podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, Mark. Thank you again, as always. These are always fun and I hopefully informative for those that are listening in. And as we go into the new year, I'm uh, I'm expecting it to be a good one and I hope all the listeners are too. Yes, yes, it should be a good one indeed. Got a lot to talk about on the podcast today. So let's just dive right in and kick it off with the news. Extra, extra, read all about it. That's right, Charles. We love to take the headlines around us in the world and just see whether they might apply to our finances. So this is an interesting bit of recent news in the last year. After losing 90% of its value over the last 12 months, Sears stock is now trading below a dollar. I think they were threatening to take it off of the stock ticker. What does it tell you about our economy when a retail icon can't survive in such a strong economy? I mean, Sears has been around forever. My grandparents worked for Sears like 60 years ago. (laughs) I think every town in America had a Sears store in it. And the way I look at them, the challenges, they never figured out what they were and they tried to be what they were 50 years ago. And they're not. The world has changed and they did not keep up. They did not adapt. In fact, the Sears store right by our house, about a mile away from our house, it's in a big mall. You know, it's the big box concept is got a big sign on it now that says store closing. So it's everywhere. I think they're just a real anomaly. You can't blame Walmart. You can't blame Amazon. I think you can only blame Sears for just not keeping up. Things change. You have to change. And they simply just didn't. They tried a bunch of stuff. I mean, they used to own Discover Card. They owned Dean Witter, the brokerage firm, you know, for a while. And they just tried everything other than, I think, really sticking to what they did, but keeping up with the technology and the changes of what went on in the world around them. And that's too bad, but that's the way it works. If you're not producing goods or services that people want, you're not going to be able to stay in business. So you've got to change because people's attitudes and needs and wants change. So that's a pretty simple one, I think. But, uh, you know, sorry to see him go. But I can honestly tell you, I haven't been in there in seven or eight years because there's nothing that they've got I want. So maybe that's the real issue. <laughs> Certainly is sad to see him go. I mean, my, I joke about my grandparents, but they really did. When they were growing up, they always got that Sears and Roebuck catalog. My parents growing up, my mom and dad got the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Both of my grandparents worked for them at various points in times a long, long time ago. And you're right. It's basically the same storefront now that it was then, and that's a problem in today's economy. So certainly a lesson there to be had. Thanks for explaining to us what's been going on in the world around us. Thanks for filling us in. Now let's take a question from the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you.
All right, Charles, we've got a good question that's coming to us this week. We love taking your listener questions, by the way. So please submit one to us. You can go online to that website, pelotoncapital.com. That's pelotoncapital.com. Submit a question, and hey, you too could end up on the podcast. Let's take one from Tracy in Glendale. Tracy says, I make too much money to contribute to a Roth or traditional IRA. Tracy, I don't see what the question is. That sounds like a phenomenal place to be in. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Tracy. But she says, after I max out my 401k, where else am I supposed to save money for retirement? Well, yeah, it's a good problem to have, I guess, Tracy. So congratulations on having a problem that we rarely hear about. But let's clarify for you. Well, first of all, you can save money anywhere you want to save money. That's what a savings account could be for. But I realize you're probably really asking the question, how can I grow my money a little bit faster than I can in a savings account? So we'll get there. You say you make too much money to contribute to a Roth or a traditional IRA. Now, a Roth IRA does have income limits beyond which you are not able to contribute to a Roth. But a traditional IRA, which is a pre-tax IRA or a tax deductible IRA does not have income limits to how much you can put in. I mean, there's a $5,500 or $6,500 limit if you are over 50, there's a $1,000 catch up. But actually, there aren't limits to being able to contribute to a traditional IRA. There are income limits that will cap out the deductibility of those dollars going in. So they would, if you're making too much, and I don't know how much too much is in your situation. If you're making too much, you're not going to be able to deduct it if you put it into a traditional IRA. That doesn't stop you from being able to do it. Uh, so there is still the opportunity to do it. It just basically becomes an after-tax contribution to an IRA. And it sort of ends up being treated like it was a Roth contribution, but it's not. The other thing that I would suggest that you want to do is take a look at your 401k. You say you're maxing out your 401k at work. That's great. Ask the company, do they have, first of all, do they have a Roth option in their 401k? More and more companies are doing that. We're a big believer that that's a great idea. And the other thing that there aren't a lot of companies that do it, but some do, and I think more are all the time, and that would be to have an after-tax contribution availability in your 401k at work. It's a little bit more accounting, if you will, for the company, but that really significantly raises the amount of money that you can put away. And what it also ends up looking like is you're not going to be able to deduct those dollars going in, but they're going to grow in it just like the rest of your 401k, depending on the investment choices that you have. And when you take the money out someday, it basically converts itself or transfers out into a Roth IRA. So you've got, you paid the tax before the dollars went in on this It'll grow tax deferred and when it comes out, it's tax free. So that's an interesting twist. If your plan has it and you've got to ask HR, do they have that option? And if they do, I would suggest take a look at that seriously. If they don't, you might say, why don't you? And see if they can't add that component to it because that takes you up from about a $24,000 limit now to almost a $55,000 limit for the total dollars that you can put in. So there's a big difference, but not all, like I said earlier, not all plants have that. So it's a great problem to have, Tracy. I would say, yay for you. I make too much. Darn it. That's a, you know, again, like I said, not an issue we come across frequently. I don't have enough is an everyday one. 
but I make too much. There are options. There are choices. So it's one of those things where give us a holler if you want a further explanation. We'd be happy to help. Yes, we'd be happy to help. And you're right. While we don't come across that situation often, it does happen. And we are, of course, prepared to help with that situation, Tracy. So as always, you can reach out to us. Give Charles and the team a call, 480-513-1830. All right, Charles, risk tolerance is what I want to dive into now on the podcast. It's kind of a buzzword we hear. I think everybody has sat down with their advisor at some point and had a conversation about risk and how much risk is in their portfolio and what's their risk tolerance. But it's kind of just one of those words that we hear being used by our advisor on TV, on the internet. What is risk tolerance and why should we care about it? Why is it important? Well, it's one of these topics that we come across all the time and a lot of people write about it and there's you can't kind of escape it. But it's one of these ideas that bugs the heck out of me because we're not really clearly defining what we're talking about. I wrote a piece a couple of years ago for Kiplinger.com. And in that article, I talked about there are basically we've identified 13 different kinds of investment risk, which would all fall under the general heading of risk tolerance. And I'm going to run through the titles of these 13 really, really quickly without an explanation. But just so you know, there's market risk, which is really what most people are talking about. There's timing risk. There's purchasing power risk, which is otherwise known as inflation. There's credit risk. There's liquidity risk. The list goes on and on. There's maturity risk, call risk, reinvestment risk transparency or disclosure risk, geopolitical risk, that's a big one now, Uh, longevity risk, sequence of return risk, and sequence of consumption risk. So it's not just a simple one-term-fits-all issue. The thing that most people are familiar with is I'm going to take a risk tolerance questionnaire and it's going to give me the portfolio that I should be in. Well, when these questionnaires first came out, they've got six or seven or eight or nine or ten questions, something like that. I took one from Fidelity and I went through and I took every variation I could find on, I think it was a nine question quiz. I changed things around to see which one, when I pushed the button to get the, what should I have? What's my risk tolerance? And the only two questions, and they're the same question asked differently out of the nine, the only two that made any kind of material difference were A, how old are you? Or B, how long till you retire? which is a purely then a function of, of age. And from that, it defaulted to, depending on how old I said I was, it defaulted to the younger you were, the more risk you could take, the older you were, the less risk you could take. And conceptually, that might make sense from a reality point of view. It's crazy. That makes no sense whatsoever. But that's the way. And then they'll default you with the portfolio that is 60% stocks or 70% stocks and 30 or 40% bonds, depending on what your score is. It's goofy. It doesn't matter. You can't be oblivious to it, but you can't just take a test and get a portfolio. And I was also reading something about the same time I was taking this fidelity test that a research company that we have a lot of respect for and have read for years and years and years, they took these tests, these risk tolerance questionnaires from, I don't know, 15 or 20 different sources, different fund companies, investment managers, et cetera. And what they basically found was more, they pretty much more or less came to the same conclusion I did, and they went as far as to then quantify what portfolios. And basically, it didn't matter who was asking the question. You always dumped into the same old portfolio. So there's really no individuality there whatsoever. Risk tolerance, great idea. We always have a long conversation about risk with clients. 
because we want to clearly define what they need. I just listed, rattled off those 13 different kinds of risk. The one that most people just say is, hey, don't lose my money. Well, sometimes it happens. Markets go up and down, but that's what they're really asking. And just having a portfolio that you've answered seven questions that gets you into the right portfolio is nonsense. So you can't be oblivious to the fact that there is risk, but you can't just mathematically say, ah, I found the answer. <laughs> I got it. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So that's my take on risk tolerance. You could put it under my pet peeve column. We have a white paper on our website that, you know, if you ever downloaded our white paper, look on page eight of the white paper about how we invest from a different perspective. And it talks about risk tolerance and what I think about it, which I pretty much just capsulized right here. So <laughs> that's risk tolerance from my odd perspective. And Charles, if somebody comes in for a visit, how are you able to factor their risk tolerance into a plan for them? And what does that conversation look like as you start that planning process? It ends up being a lot of questions and lots of saying, if we did this and that happened, how would you feel about it? It's not a ask a simple question and get a simple answer. It's a conversation. And you'll ultimately help them walk through and say, okay, are you comfortable with kind of where we are here, given the amount of you know, potential return you're going to get for the amount of investment risk that you want to take. And some people don't want to take much of any investment risk. So there are still investments and options that are available to them. But it's talking about it. It's not just shoving nine questions in front of them and saying, here, I'll have the answer for you when you finish the test. It doesn't work that way. And it changes over time. So as somebody gets closer to retirement, their risk tolerance conceptually will change, but it doesn't automatically change. And there are, we've had young clients that have very low risk tolerances. And we've had older clients that have significantly higher risk tolerances than any kind of a little test would take. So it's just talking to them. I mean, that's what this is all about, having a conversation, getting to the essence of what's important to them and how they value things, and then going from there. So it's not just a cookie cutter, push this button, get that answer kind of a thing. That's not the way we've ever done planning. I think that's one of the most important takeaways here is that planning is not a cookie cutter process. It's all about your unique situation and what's important to you. What are your goals in retirement? Those are all the things that you need to think through as you come in for a visit with Charles Scott and his team at Peloton Capital Management. And they can get you thinking about that. They know the questions to ask and can help you start to dream a little bit about your retirement and along the way, find out just how much risk you are comfortable with and how that should factor into your portfolio. If you'd like to reach out to Charles and his team, you can do so by dialing 480-513-1830. That's 480-513-1830. Or you can go online to pelotoncapital.com. That's pelotoncapital.com. Charles, as always, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Good stuff today, Mark. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. We'll do it again on another edition of Financial Choices Matter. Financial planning and investment advisory services are provided by Peloton Capital Management Limited, a state-registered investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No one should assume the information presented here serves as a receipt of or substitute for personalized individual advice provided by Peloton Capital Management. For more information, visit www.pelotoncapital.com.